Okay, so welcome to our second episode of the, um, what are we calling it, Year of Biblical Literacy podcast, All Saints Worcester podcast, something like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> who's here? We've got the man with the microphone and theology degrees, Johnny Gordon. Hello. In the corner. Um, my good wife, Laura. Hello. I'm Owen. And of course, um, the um, vicar Rich Hello. is here. Um, all around our table, armed with um, some cheap-looking Maryland-esque cookies, yeah. right. and my brother's homemade built-on. So we have all we need <laughs> to um, do a little bit of theologising on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, we have until the kids wake up from their nap. So um, here we go. Uh, we are currently so we're doing one of these podcast episodes, uh, linking each to each of the the main teaching series that are. Uh, some of the building blocks of this um, year-long endeavour. Um, this is number two. Uh, last, the last one was sort of looking at the preliminary questions of how we approach the Bible, what is it, etc. Uh, the second one has been going through the, the whole narrative, the big picture, uh, narrative arc of the scriptures. Um, Rich, do you want to say a word to that? You've been serving up this, um, the, this Sunday teaching. We're nearly at the end of it. Yeah, one more to go next Sunday. How does the story end? Um, well, I guess the hope has just been that um, we'd grasp something of the, the overarching story and work out um, primarily how we fit in that story. How do we live into that story? How do we let that story define the way we go about uh, life? But also um, to help us grasp the big picture of the, of the scriptures, really, so that as we're reading through sections of the Old Testament or, or we're diving into a New Testament letter we're better able to understand what's going on in those uh, books of the Bible because we understand the story itself. So when we think, for example, about Joseph, we're able to locate the story of Joseph within the, the narrative. Or when we're thinking about a particular um, kind of idea or theme as the New Testament people of God, we looked yesterday at uh, what it means, uh, briefly, at what it means to be the royal priesthood. And hopefully to see then that that's not a new idea, that's rooted in the story and it's kind of brought to new, new expression or fulfilment in and through Jesus. So that's what we've been trying to do. The reality is there's so much we could have said, there's so much we haven't done, um, haven't looked at because we just don't have time. And so my hope is that whilst we're going to move on on a Sunday to something else, we'll keep exploring this as we go and hopefully reference back to it through other teaching series. So yeah. So the question is, um, has it been any good? <laughs> Johnny, I'm going to get a biscuit. Laura, at this point. what have you enjoyed? Um, what have you thought afresh? What have you disagreed with? Uh, the questions that arise. Your rea- your general reactions, please. You, go After on. you, Laura. Oh. Oh. Um, I think it's been great. Genuinely. Um, <laughs> um, and um, I think one week that sticks out for me was probably the week on covenant and just um, having the opportunity to think again about the amazing uh, covenant of God to us, his people, and how he will go to um, uh, every length um, to keep his side of the covenant to be faithful, even if we turn our backs and um, just a reminder of that is always good news um, and obviously we see that fulfilled in in Jesus and um, yeah I loved loved that week um, and thinking it just made covenant you know it's kind of 
word you often hear banded around and um, uh, something which perhaps sounds a bit archaic in some ways just made it really, um, really kind of focused in on our relationship with God here mm. and now um, and how important um, that is. That was just one of many highlights. Oh, but you're so kind. Wow. Well. Johnny, <laughs> over to you. My highlight would be probably week two and... It's quite an obvious thing, really, but the idea of grace being present right from the beginning, that sometimes we can see like a separation in Old Testament and New Testament, and the idea that there's this law of the Old Testament and grace of the New Testament, mm. actually God's grace is through the entire thing, yeah. and law came in to bolster that, not to cover it, almost. Mm. It was and there's that bit where we're thinking about um, <coughs> the act of God clothing a... Uh, sinful humanity as a, an act of grace and that was um, and, and especially the belonging that that communicates mm. and sort of resonating with um, Jesus's story the prodigal son and the father putting his coat around and just this um, deep uh, ancient Near East picture of um, bestowing a sense of identity and um, yeah that was beautiful I appreciated that yeah we came away thinking about how we could totally have a whole series on clothing in mm. scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then yesterday, the the, the sort of, well, as we've been tracing, but it sort of came together a bit more in my head yesterday on the uh, covenant. Uh, and No, not the covenant, the temple. That's what I'm talking about. And the um, movement from the garden, uh, seeing the garden as a temple, as in a place that hosts God's presence. Yeah. Uh, through to, um, of course, the uh, temple of the Israelites, through to Jesus saying that he was the temple, through to God's people now fulfilling this function, then looking ahead through a um, through to Revelation, that picture of the uh, city temple. And there's a church in Cardiff that a couple of us have had some links with city temple church, and suddenly their name made sense in my head, and so for that alone, uh, I was grateful to be there yesterday. There's a missing link in your childhood. Yes. It's like, great. So okay. They've always got the most weird name. <laughs> Cannot be helpful, but uh, now it makes sense. Yeah, New Covenant Church. Oh, I get it. Grace Church. Oh, yeah, there, it. there it is. The yeah. penny dropped. Yeah. Thank you. All right. What about um, any more questions? Uh, Anything that this provoked in our heads? Johnny's looking uh, looking nervous. Is he going to go there or not? <laughs> what radical Johnny? Yeah, yeah. Random no, tangent not. Johnny. Yeah. Come back to me. Oh, he's thinking. Oh, he's thinking. thinking. Okay. So one question I had with this whole narrative theology is sometimes this sort of title given to this way of approaching the scriptures, the way of talking about um, the story of God. Um, the way of talking about God that is based in story, I guess, is what na narrative theology is all about. What are the what else? What other approaches are there? Um, it's become kind of default, certainly in my way of of thinking of reading the Bible. Um, if not narrative theology, what is there? Is there anything that this way of approaching the Bible is in a reaction to or instead of? Well, part part of the resurgence in narrative theology has come about, I think, as we've the church has tried to grapple with postmodernity and tried to make sense of its place within the world, particularly sort of so-called developed world, where 
the culture around us has reject the, rejected the inherited Christian story. Mm. Um, and it's forced us back to the scriptures. And, and rather than talking about church and society, we've had to go back to the kingdom of God, which, of course, is what Jesus talked about. Um, and there's been a rediscovery, I think, of kingdom theology. And with that, a recognition that actually the Christian faith is part of an over, a, big, a bigger story. And so theologians like N.T. Wright have championed this over the last 20 years. I think it's really been late Gen Xers and millennials, so anyone under the age of about, well, basically a year older than me, I just keep tracking with it. Um, so 42-year-olds and younger currently, that generation coming through discovered Tom Wright, I think, within, within the evangelical tradition, and he put language to some of the theological instincts that many of us had which is that the gospel has to be bigger than um, just salvation from your sin, going to heaven when you die, mm. whatever that is. And, and with that, then, I guess, a rediscovery of the historical Jesus and um, him as the fulfilment of all these Old Testament prophecies. But it was also, I think, related to that, a rejection, not a rejection, but, but a recognition that systematic theology, which had been the kind of the primary uh, theological approach of sort of the last 50 years within the evangelical church um, had its limitations um, and that it was quite dry and dull. So we'd dissect the entire Bible looking for every verse that we could find around a particular doctrinal thing. So systematic theology says we'll systematically look at the doctrine, for example, of original sin or the doctrine of salvation. And we'll know every bit of the Bible that talks about that. But what you're left with is... Um, not be able to kind of necessarily live into the story uh, or the arc of the scriptures. You just know bits of it really, really well, but you don't know how it all fits together. And so I think at a time when the church needed to articulate a better story for our culture, it, narrative theology kind of came back into popularity. It's not a new thing. There's probably other expressions of theology as well that um, you know are still valuable. And systematic theology, for me, is a great thing to come back to once you've got a grasp of the narrative because actually you can then um, drill down into particular elements of the story systematically and see how they all track for example the temple is a good way of doing that but understanding it within the story rather than separate from that would be my answer but Johnny's probably got wiser things to say because he's actually been to theological college I don't know really um One of the things I'd throw in the mix is, so traditionally we've had this idea, theological words will come out, but bear with me. There's um, an approach to the Bible that's called his social historical. So the idea that you just look at the way it would, it's almost like an external view of the Bible. So you don't get particularly in depth, you just look at it in a historical way and work through it all in that way, especially the Old Testament. Whereas recently, developments in theology has done this socio-rhetorical, so the idea that you dive into the, the life and the world of the people in the Bible, and it places us into their mindset and the way they thought, and it becomes more personable. So it's the idea that the Bible isn't just a detached book of something that happened, it's people's lives and their engagement with God and God's engagement with them, and it's living because of that, rather than just a cold... Like Rich says, systematic theology, it, without the story, it's just a cold look at the text. But it's not about that, it's about this relationship between God and man, an ongoing story of grace that flows through the whole Bible. And if we approach it in terms of narrative, that we get that, it becomes a living thing that we're part of, rather than 
like a separate cold entity. Mm. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking last time about what is the Bible and is it a detached top-down piece of almost like analytic philosophy um, do we approach it do we approach it like that as in uh, you know taking every sentence like that uh, reading it very um, systematically or taking every sentence on the same level or do you let it be this very attached artifact almost to the story of God with his people and therefore you read it differently and um, have to approach it in a um, according to the story that it's a part of rather than approach it in a well this verse talks uses a combination of these words therefore I'm going to pull it out and use it to build my long confessional statement of what the faith is or do you it, it does more to my heart I think yeah. um, this stuff the, the, the narrative the story mm. approaching it as story I'm like yes where other stuff um, like um, I don't know trying to pick apart the Westminster Confession or, or something like that just doesn't excite me in the same way mm. I think um, Jesus kind of models the combination, doesn't he, when he speaks to people to reveal God. Scripture obviously being um, a revelation of God and what he's like. And, you know, Jesus does that, like this combination. I, I don't know, like take, for example, in John when he speaks to the woman at the well and, and he blends kind of story, overall narrative. You know, you've heard it said that you'd worship on this mountain in spirit and truth with her story as well of her life. But also there's all of this kind of doctrine in there as well, which, yeah, I, I think is is um, e is in, in many ways equally as glorious, just kind of uh, a different, different um, part of it. So, yeah. I think it comes alive doctrine when it's located within the narrative mm. so so lots of you have you know fed back to me that, that the, the idea of original goodness has been really helpful um, and a good ex that's mm. a good example of uh, the, the need to kind of make sure we we approach theology in, in multiple ways because part of what you are our people are articulating to me was I, I've only ever been taught about original sin mm. um, you know, this idea that you, we, we start our Bibles in Genesis 3. Yeah, total <laughs> depravity of man and, and all of yeah. that. And okay, that's a, that's a whole debate in and of itself. But yeah. but actually, before the fall, God said it was very good. Mm. And and when you understand the scriptures as a, as a whole, you see in Jesus an affirmation that creation is still very mm. good and worth saving. And so the idea of the, the rubble of the earthquake of, of sin is quite a helpful one. You know, underneath the rubble is still something that's worth worth God pulling the rubble off to find. Um, and and so suddenly, actually, original sin becomes a doctrine that's really helpful at making sense of our human experience, rather than just being an idea that blocks us actually seeing the bigger picture. And and um, we start then, of course, to apply that, which means we approach people we are we don't know or we don't understand who are different from us uh, not from a place of fear and, and judgment but from a, a default assumption that beyond any um any anything about their brokenness there's this there's this inherent goodness in them mm. but also it helps us see good in the world around us that you know people who are not of faith can still go about doing things for the kingdom whether they realize it or not often yeah. as a in a way that challenges the church and it creates a place, a point of empathy with everybody. Um, 
So I think when you combine it already well, you can actually have a much more powerful spiritual experience as a result because it all makes a bit more sense and allows you to go into the world on behalf of Jesus and actually contend for original goodness and navigate original sin. And original sin is, is comes after original goodness. It's like that order, locating things. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people have the... the well, it doesn't resonate... The, you know, when someone jumps in talking about the sin or total depravity but probably understood these things are not saying that all of the value has been utterly yeah. and utterly lost so severely smashed out of the way that uh, everything is now totally deprived it's that everything that is, is tainted mm. Every, yeah uh, not that everything is now worthless it's which is why I probably wouldn't go with total depravity. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's just probably understood. The, the, the phrase is unhelpful and it's often used badly. Yeah. In a, in a, in a, uh, careful, in a way that, you know, rubs out <laughs> all of the value. Um, but uh, that's never how it, that phrase was first used or intended. It was no, to it's true. It's true. Um, point to the fact that everything now is tainted. Yeah. Uh, not that everything is totally tainted. And the, the two are plain to see, aren't they? That there is definite goodness and definite yeah. not goodness, like all around. L- Laura's got a really massive Bible, <laughs> like the biggest Bible I think I've ever seen. It's actually mine. It's, it's got yeah, mine yeah, in the front of it. Yeah, it's so massive because it's one of the, uh, it's the ESV study Bible, so it's got okay. the answers in the bottom. But she, yeah. you got it out a minute ago. Oh, only because about... no, I was just checking what I said about this, the Jesus and the oh, Samaritan right. woman. I was like... Hold on, let me just check that yeah. I was, but we're alright. Just as a complete aside, one of the things that's been really good to see is people bringing their Bibles to church on Sunday, and people writing in them. It's okay to write in your Bible, and because I think what it means is you can actually you start to know your way around the story because you can remember where you've been rather than a church Bible where you know you get given a page number on a Sunday. And mm. Just want to encourage bring your Bibles to church, and if you've got one bigger than Laura's, like I want yeah. to see it. Basically, because yeah. it's well, it's massive. It <laughs> like you could build a house. It's a, a, few it's a non-portable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bring that to church, Laura. Separate bag. Well, it's if I'm allowed. See, he it says it's his, but his name's not in it. Oh, somewhere. So claim it. Is it? Is I don't it? know. I don't know. I can't find it yet. Maybe not. Anyway, built on giant. Well. Yeah. I don't have some. <laughs> Um, but before we move, we've, so we've also got the, um, want to talk about um, the, the reading, daily reading plan. We've just exited the um, Torah, the law, the first five books. We're now embarked into Joshua. But before we talk about some of the problems that we've encountered since we last spoke, um, was there anything more, Rich, you wanted to say on your narrative journey? Well, only I didn't really get time to say it yesterday, but I think one of the... the comments that Tom Wright makes about this narrative of scripture approach is that you know the, the second part of Act 5 which is where we are now in the story there isn't really a script there's a plot line and um, the New Testament gives us the, is the first bit of the fifth act but his analogy is imagine there's a bit of the play missing the script's missing uh, and what he says is that the church is called to improvise we, we know the main characters we know the plot line we know the sixth and final act so we know how the play ends we know how the drama ends and there's an encouragement in that, I think, to, to be confident and creative as the church. We're not just outworking some sort of thing that's predetermined and we're just like, you know, kind of programmed and robotic. There's a, an inherent creation in us, creativity in us, as those made in the image of the creator. 
And um, we know how the story ends. We know that the lamb wins. We, we know what's going to happen. But So we look with one eye to the horizon and then we go improvise. Whatever it's going to take to create more of the kingdom of God here on earth, that's what we go do. What's it going to take to love our city into life? Mm. We go do that. And I think that's really releasing and exciting because it means then that each and every one of us can really play our part, not just in terms of what someone else says is needed, but actually to, as an expression of the way God has made us, mm. our passions, our interests, our skills, the people we have favour with, the places we have influence that maybe no one else does. And so I just would want to encourage people that... You know, to be bold and to be creative and mm. go do it, you know. It's really exciting. Suddenly being human is like, oh, yes. And the, the sense that our story is unfinished um, forces us into a posture of humility, I think, as well. It's yeah. not like we need to have all the answers tied up or we've got this closed-off answer book, you know. Actually, um, we are exploring and, by definition, we have not arrived uh, which is a good uh, posture, I think, and really helpful posture for sort of engaging in cultural conversations and, and talking to people about um, this way of life that we have found. I agree. All right then. On to uh, the the Yobble readings. Um, just got into Joshua. I must confess. That I, though I have completed Deuteronomy, I have not yet started Joshua. I'm looking forward to the reading, the um, video that will kick us off. Kicked, I think it was yesterday. Joshua began. Couple I'm two days, days ago, two days behind. Yeah. Good point to restate our, our <coughs> encouraged policy not <laughs> yeah. that I've been living out <laughs> of. Um, if you're getting behind, just carrying on with the day that you're supposed to be on. Yeah. That's um, what I did today. And not feeling with guilty Joshua, and not I having to, started, you know, I... bust the gut to try and catch up and do your penance or whatever like that um just pick up and carry on and joshua is a good place to kind of get excited again because suddenly the story gets a bit of a you know excitement and adventure and intrigue no more rules for a little bit yeah deuteronomy does do your head in yeah well yeah although you're teaching on it next term on the law yeah yeah so you're going to bring it up well, I don't know. In one we'll session. <laughs> the whole you've of got the a big Bible, in so you'll be okay. Going, it's in the go. Bible. So one of the big problems has been um, sort of coming face to face with the, uh, the, the, the wrath of God and mm. um, passages that um, have God commanding people to be stoned. Uh, yeah. That's sort of up there with the the most difficult to kind of hmm what do we do with this um, this doesn't yep. isn't warm and cuddly and um, inspiring for your poster or anything like that so uh, what, what, what do we do what, how have you read these things I'm looking at Johnny because he's got you know he's done Old Testament at Master's level come on buddy help us out depends who you ask me or Laura <laughs> <laughs> We're asking you both. It could be a whole pad, podcast fight, on its fight, own. Fight, fight. <laughs> My, yeah. I get, d- d- We've got 30 seconds each. Go each. You go first. 30 seconds. Oh, okay. This is the wrath of God. This is huge. <laughs> <laughs> My take on it, which... So the whole thing, this is a, a caveat to it. You hold all theology lightly. Like the idea that this is nobody has the right answer or not, but we just mm. work with what we look at at the time. So I'm quite happy to prove them wrong in the same way Laura probably is. Yeah. I'm not. Even though. 
that's why we like Rich preach instead of the theology. Harsh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so my take on it is, all the Old Testament stuff with the wrath of God and all of that. Um, I'm slowly changing my mind on this, but this is where I come from. The, the idea that the Old Testament, it's people looking at God through a blurry lens. So the idea of the New Testament, they've, they've got Jesus, so who God is and all of everything that he is, his character, his nature, what he's like, has been revealed in Jesus. So all of a sudden it's like, Jesus turns up and goes, this is what I'm actually like. And the Old Testament, it's blurry. So the way they write about God and what he tells them to do, I'm quite happy saying they might not have got it quite right. So when he tells them to, allegedly tells them to kill off all the, the heathens around the area or go and massacre people or stone someone because they didn't quite get something right, I'm quite happy to say that God didn't tell them to do that particularly. They just, that's their worldview and they were looking at God through that worldview and actually it might have broken God's heart a little bit that they did that. But that's just what they wrote down because that's their perspective. That's my take on it. Happy to be proven wrong. Laura's <laughs> probably about to do. Oh, well, I I would think differently, um, but um, that's okay, Danny. Um, well, I, I, that's I, okay. I hope <laughs> um, in that, I'd probably be um, a little slower to um, uh, to say that God's um, that have. I mean. I definitely don't find it comfortable, those passages where someone picks up sticks on the Sabbath and gets stoned, or when there's like Korah and all of that stuff that we read about um, in Leviticus, is that, or Numbers? I can't remember now. And um, Korah's rebellion. Yeah, and Moses, you know, he strikes a rock, and as a result of striking it rather than speaking to it, he is told by God you can't enter the promised land. I mean, that is very hard to understand and harsh, and I think all of these things, okay, yeah, they, they are there, and I'm not saying that I find it easy um, and that it doesn't make me question, but I'd probably be a little slower to say, um, okay, God wasn't like that, and you've got this argument that it's kind of post-exilic um, Israel looking back and writing these things, and in order to invoke kind of um, absolute obedience and dedication to um, to Yahweh and to uh, his ways and his laws, we're going to hype up the stories and exaggerate them and make God seem more um, wrathful than he is in reality. Now, why why is there for me a kind of um, a pause? Okay, however much I'm still grappling with what these things say about God, why am I a bit like, hold on, let's just sit in the tension a bit before saying, actually, I think people who wrote up these texts got it wrong and they aren't seeing God for who he is, partly because of Jesus and the fact that he says some stuff which is hard to understand. Mm -hmm. And we have examples in Acts 5, is it, with Ananias and Sapphira and the, how, they, how they pretend to be more generous than they are with the church's money and they get struck down and it's there and they're held up. Um, and, you know, it says in that passage, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that all of the people in the early church were you know, were kind of afraid and fearful yeah. and yeah. that they're kind of there as this example and this um, uh, upheld as a, um, yeah, a model of actually obedience to God and to his ways and to what he's like um, is important and has consequences. Um, and, um, and also kind of continuing into, I, I think probably because of not seeing it as such a kind of, um, like gear change from Old Testament to New Testament because I see some of those issues around 
the consequences for our actions being there in the words of Jesus. I mean, Jesus speaks specifically um, somewhere in Luke, I think, about Lot's wife. She's the one who looks back at Sodom and Gomorrah and is turned into a pillar of salt. And he actually says, um, remember Lot's wife, people. <laughs> Don't be like Lot's wife. And, um, and I think if these things were hyped up, then we can ask, you know, why is it that Jesus refers Johnny's smiling um why is it that um Jesus you know refers to her or why there are these other examples and quite dramatic language um where Jesus talks about sheep and goats and consequences of uh, and then uh, you know acts as I mentioned and I think that a lot of this and um those examples in the Old Testament that we've alluded to about there being um God's anger is 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 to do with God's holiness and um, who he is. And we find that hard to understand um, because we are human and um, we uh, also know absolutely that God is loving and that he is merciful. And, you know, I I think that um, I'm hesitant as well because I see the meeting of the wrath of God and the absolute love of God in the reason that Jesus came to die for us. And kind of in a sense, I think there in you know on the cross we see that it, it matters to God that um we be made holy like he is you know sin sin is important and a big problem and God wants to deal with it um and I think that these little examples um of perhaps us seeing uh individual people like the guy um who uh collects sticks on the sabbath um being stoned um Oh, it's hard, but this kind of, you know, he, I think in that specific example, it's come just after a reference to um, there being unintentional sin and sin which is more kind of deliberate and it seems as if um, it had just been laid out, you know, don't work on the Sabbath and then this guy does that. And it's like, actually, no, you know, there are consequences to disobeying um, God's invitation to rest and to be like him. Um, and that guy is there as a kind of model of that consequence. Um, and that's hard, and I know that doesn't answer it all, um, and all that kind of does is just maybe explain a little bit of my sitting in the tension um, uh, of some of this to maybe try and understand a bit of m- maybe what, yeah, I don't know if that's... Yeah, that's great. I just, I'm laughing because it's like the spontaneous sermon of, for this podcast that <laughs> just came out, Laura. It's like, it's great. Uh, but Sorry. it just, no, yeah, but it's good. And what your, your debate is illustrates what we were talking about earlier in terms of the different approaches to theology, yeah. which is actually Johnny's trying to get his head around perhaps the socio rhetorical lens, and you're looking yeah. at it perhaps from a more systematic point of view, both of which find that their kind of place within the story because yeah. when we look at the overarching di- dynamic of the story often what God's doing is is working with where people are at and what he has and so um, we're going to come back to all of this aren't we uh, after Easter when we look at uh, in a series the God we don't understand and we're going to look mm. at some of these big questions but, but it's worth remembering that God isn't you know necessarily saying that what he tolerates is ideal, uh, and nor is he necessarily operating in a in a way that is, uh, you know, over time consistent. Is it all has to be understood within the context of those moments and where were the people of God at that time? Yeah. In the same way yeah. that my children ultimately face consequences if they ignore the instruction of their parents. Eventually, mm. they miss out on movie night mm. or something even worse, like you know, chocolate or sweets for a week mm. or whatever. Mm. And God doesn't 
just step in automatically and do things. Johnny's about to respond, no. but we're running out of time. Um, I think the God I don't understand as a sentence is is really important. That this isn't um, it, by definition. This is this is this is God we're talking about, yeah. and and actually His holiness, His holy otherness, is way beyond our and we and we need to be slow to. Um, Kind of uh, dictate exactly what his godness uh, should be like, and cautious of our um, that original godness. <laughs> the original godness. Yeah, um, you can have that for free. <laughs> but at the same time, at the same time as like some of these, it's been slow to judge the sort of severity or the harshness or this sort of demanding nature of um, some of those bits. Uh, at the same time, I think God's grace is, is way beyond our yeah. understanding as well. And so there was a, there's, you made reference, there's, a, there's a question that came in with encouraging people to email their questions along the way to, what is it, Yobble, yeah. Y-O-B-L, at allsaintsworcester.org.uk. Um, one question came in uh, about Moses entering the Promised Land um, and how he was forbidden from entering the Promised Land uh, uh, what was the precise bit on that? Well, why, so he Isn't that he uh, strikes a rock rather. Oh, do you mean what was the question? Yeah, no, the, the story. He strikes a rock rather that. So in Exodus, um, it's an echo of Exodus seventeen later on in Numbers. Um, hold on, somewhere in Numbers, and he is told um, by God the second time to here it is Numbers twenty. Um, uh, to just speak to the rock, but he takes his staff and he strikes it, and um, God says, because of that, um, because, here it is, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. And then the, the place is called Meribah. The that's right. Waters. And the question came in saying, that just seems so harsh, and you know, this man who's just done so much, way more than any of us, um, are ever going to do in obedience and sacrifice and faith. Um, it just seems a bit kind of pernickety at the end there that, that he doesn't get that reward of entering the promised land. And that's where um, some of the the severity of the God I don't understand stuff comes mm-hmm. in. Uh, but then you jump forward to the um, ascension. Not like the ascension. What's the other one? Resurrection? No, top of the mountain. Transfiguration, oh, that's right. the word I'm looking for. <laughs> when um, you're having a great... And Jesus is revealed <laughs> as the Son of God in that moment, you know, face shining with the glory of God. And who's walking in the promised land with him? It's Moses yeah. and Elijah. And yeah. this, this sort of um, holiness, demanding holiness that's beyond us. <laughs> Uh, and this over the top like what an awesome thing to be present for that moment that he's gifted out of the grace of God and so um, that's good I like that good one check you out that's why you need the narrative ladies and gentlemen (laughs) and avoid the built on (laughs) (laughs) I've had four or five pieces of it no one else has it has a strangely different colour towards the middle of each piece so if I go downhill we know it was the built on (laughs) yeah um, anything else we need to say? Final words? No. Jokes? Just keep on reading. Keep on asking. Keep on probing. Keep on sitting in the tension. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Improvise. Yeah. And as we approach this Christmas season, what 
would the turkey say? There is, is a red, light. Is it red, Joshua? There is a light. <laughs> yobble, yobble. <laughs> That's just a little reward for making it this far through the podcast. Yeah. And on that note, surely... And we will kick in with the vague outro music sometime about now and look forward to um, hearing your questions and uh, blah, blah, blah next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.